Hey, we're looking at Jonah chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. Also, I challenge you that if you have a smartphone, you have a Bible with you. So if you don't, if you have a smartphone and you don't have the version or a Bible app or something like that, put that on there. There's those moments as you're growing in your faith that you're like, what is that verse? And somebody asks you and you're, you're like, what is that verse? And you can just pull open your, you don't have your trusty Bible with you in your back pocket, but you've got your, your smartphone with that app and you can pull that out and do that. And um, version now has hundreds and hundreds of opportunities for you to do some some devotionals and tools. So um, the smartphone can be a great tool. It's a great distraction, but also it can be a great tool. So if you have that, open it up to Jonah chapter 2. I always generally preach out of the New International Version. There's hundreds of versions, but the New International Version is what I teach out of. And so this has been one of those weeks. It's been a hard week in so many ways. And um, Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is in the middle of a hard week. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 2, right at the very end of chapter 1, all right? So what we got here is Jonah has been called to Nineveh, which was the major city of the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were known for their, their evil and their destruction, and the stench of their evil and the stench of the destruction of the violence had reached the nostrils of God, is what it says in Jonah, that, that the evil had reached the nostrils of God, and so he sent a prophet of his by the name of Jonah, to go tell them about who he was and the, about their evil and describe their evil and so that they would re- recall that, repent, and turn to Yahweh. And so Jonah heard that call, and it was the people that he despised the most. Jonah despised the Assyrians, and he despised the, the Ninevites. And so that was the last place in the world that he imagined he would ever go. He didn't want to cross that divide to get to that place. And so he, God was calling him to an uncomfortable place, an uncomfortable zone to do a difficult task. Because in all honesty, I think Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to repent. He wanted God to call down fire and to consume them, not repent. And so his, you can see the hatred, the dislike in Jonah's heart. And so he's been called to do this. And so he gets that call and he begins to go and he says, nope, I'm not going to do this. He pays a fare, hops on a boat and runs literally 180 degrees away from where he's supposed to be going. And so he's on this boat and the boat begins to, uh, there's a storm going on. And so the guys cast lots and figure out that it's Jonah. Jonah's um, comfortable in his sin. So he's actually down in the bottom of the boat. He's sleeping. He's enjoying this. And they call him up and say, hey, listen, we believe that you're the reason for this storm. And he says, yeah, probably. And so being good guys that they are, they don't want to throw him overboard. They say, hey, we'll try to row and get out of this mess. We'll help you get out of the mess. That's what good friends do, though, right? I mean, if you, your friends find themselves in a mess, we try to help them out. We try to get them out of that mess. Sometimes what God really wants us to do is just throw them overboard. I don't know what spiritual principle that is, but just let them. They've got to sink or swim and figure it out. They've got to do their own thing with God. And um, so that's where Jonah is. So Jonah has been hurled into the sea. So look at the last verse of uh, Jonah chapter 1, and it says this, And the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now you can imagine, here's, here's Jonah. He's already in some distress, and he finally decides, Okay, these guys are going to throw me overboard. I don't know how that goes. All right, we need five guys. He's 180 pounds, whatever. You know, we got to get. And so they chunk this guy. And imagine what's going through his mind. I am dying. This is it, fellas. I see it coming, and I don't know if he can swim or not. He hits the water, and he begins to sink. 
And so he's sinking. He's in the sea. There's a storm going on. The storm doesn't stop immediately. The storm is going, and he begins to sink. And we find out a little bit later that he is deep into the deep parts of the sea. And all of a sudden, God provides a large fish. Now, this word provide literally means God appointed. God called out a specific fish from his duty of being a large fish to now swallow Jonah. So you can imagine this. I've got a weird mind. So you can imagine I'm the fish here. I'm going around. I'm gulping fish, going fish, fish, fish. Mmm, yeah, yummy, yummy, yummy. Mmm, Jonah. Hmm, I don't know what a Jonah is, but let me go find one. And you go, and he's up here, and then Jonah is thinking, this is over, it's over, my life is done with, I'm sinking, I can see the, the, the darkness here is around. All of a sudden, you see this huge mouth open up. I sh- I'm sure that Jonah didn't think, oh, thank the Lord, he provided a large fish to swallow me and devour me. God, could there not be a better way than this? And God said, yeah, you could have gone to this area to begin with. And so here he is, devoured. God appointed, listen, God is in control of the minutia of our life, and he, but he also so cares about us. He will change the dynamic of creation to provide a miracle for us exactly when we needed it. So Jonah couldn't even cry out, right? If you've been in water before, you can't cry out because if you cry out, what happens? You swallow more water. You speed up the dying process. So he's literally, he's dying, and he's like, I can't even cry out to you, and God provides In that very moment, I imagine he's thinking, this is it. And in that moment, this huge, massive fish, there's all kinds of theories of what, but the matter is, it's a miracle. God opens it up and provides for him a safe place. I'm sure at that moment, he didn't think it was safe, but it was. Continuing on in that last verse, this is a huge fish swallowed Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is like the Motel 6. They'd left the light on for him, you know? I don't know. So he's in there for three days and three nights. And what do you do in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? I mean, are you like praying for salmon to show up or different stuff, fish to throw in? Oh, God, I don't like that kind of fish. I want this. I mean, I don't know what the process is. But somewhere along there, he begins to just stop and to rethink what's happening. And three days and three nights is a long time for us to process. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you're in deep distress and you feel like it's darkness and you're like, God, when are you going to get me out of this? And so he's in the belly of the well. I'm sure it doesn't smell good. I'm sure there's not AC. I mean, it's, it's probably a pretty rancid place. And so he's got all this going on and he's supposed to be focusing attention on what God wants him to do. And so for three days he spends this. And this is, again, this is a, a word to the people of that time but also to us as well as in that day, three days was how long they waited to know if someone was dead. And so they believed that there was a three-day travel period from life to the place of death. So he was, in those three days, he's like, God, you, didn't, you may have rescued me from immediate death, but here I am traveling even deeper into the sea toward my death. And how you would reflect upon life and the meaning of life and what God's called you to do in the midst of this. God provided in the exact moment But even then, I think for Jonah, he was thinking, God, where are you taking me? I went from darkness to an even darker place. Here's what I want you to, the first thing I want you to get this morning is God provides exactly what we need when we need it. Exactly what we need when we need it. And let me add this caveat. Even if we don't think it's what we need. Because Jonah probably didn't think he needed a fish to swallow him up. 
And how many times have you felt like you've been swallowed up by something in the midst of your distress and God had appointed that fish, large fish, to swallow you up when you thought you were drowning and he came beside and kind of helped you walk through and continue to process this? And God provided exactly what you needed, when you needed it, even if you didn't understand that you needed it. That's how good our Father is. Provided and appointed a miracle. In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that in all things, and in the Greek that all means all, okay? In all things, the good, the bad, the indifferent, in all things, in the location actually, of the things that you're in the midst of, when you're in the the location of your distress, God is in that location with you. He's not afar. He's not anywhere else. He's not in a different zip code. In the location of your distress, where you are at, it says literally, I am in those things with you. All you have to do many times is just request. Understand that he's literally across the coffee table from you. You think that you're drinking coffee by yourself, but he's literally right there with you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who've been called according to his purpose. Are you drowning? This week, this month, are you drowning? Are you at a place where you've been hurled into the deep and you're drowning and you're even at a place where you're like listen if i even cry out i'm going to speed up the process and maybe what you're praying for is god just just end it just end it now and maybe what you should be praying for is god provide a large fish to swallow me up something that's out of the ordinary for you so that you can continue the process of deciding what is god doing in my midst. Here's the other thing I want you to think about. Are you even desperate enough to cry out? How far down do you have to go? At what point do you think Jonah realized, I cannot do this on my own? Because, you know, the ship wasn't by the shore. It's out in the middle. And he got tossed off. And, I, you know, imagining that he thought, hey, listen, this is going to be difficult, but I'm just going to swim as long and as far and as hard as I can possibly swim. He didn't have any water wingies. There was no other flotation device. It was him and the water and his gumption to get where he needed to get for safety. At what point do you give up hope that you can do it in your own strength, in your own power, and you just literally begin to just go down to the deep and say, God, this is it, this is it. And at what point, as he's sinking, and literally as we find out a little bit later, that his seaweed is wrapped around his head and his face, and just this feeling of like, I am becoming a part of this darkness and this dankness of the sea, and no one will ever know where I'm at, no one will ever know anything about me. Where are you at that you can cry out from the depths of your soul and say, God, I can no longer do this on my own. That's the depths of my distress. That's the depths of the darkness that I'm in. I can't cry out. No one can hear me but only you because when I open up my voice, it just speeds up the drowning. I only need you and you alone can save me in this moment. That is sometimes as parents, that's hard to watch our kids do that, isn't it? 
There's grandparents to watch your kids and grandkids. What is the depths of the darkness and the depths of the sea that they have to sink, that they can see that they can no longer do it in their own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God-appointed divine direction, He can intercede on their behalf and put them in the place where exactly they need to be at the exact moment. Even in our disobedience, God cares intimately about us. Even when we're running 180 degrees from where we're supposed to be, he still appoints a fish to swallow us up and say, I'm not done with you yet. Yes, you were foolish. But it doesn't surprise me. And I still love you and I still have plans for you. Sorry. When life's not going your way, who are you going to call? A lot of Ghostbusters, you know what I mean? I know all of y'all are thinking about it. Y'all just go ahead and think about it saying out loud. I'm going to call Ghostbusters. They have those zappers. Who are you going to call? Let's jump into chapter 2 now. We got the end of chapter 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Here's what I want you to get. This wasn't a prayer of, of God, why me? This is actually a prayer of thanksgiving. As we read through it, I want you to, to see that this is... Even in the, he understood he's in the belly of the fish, and he's like, God, thank you for saving me. I don't know what's next, but thank you that you provided for me with the fish. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And again, as I told you, he's three days he's going. And so he literally believes, hey, I'm going deeper and deeper and there's no way, there's nothing, no way that I can be saved. I'm not going to be able to swim. If the fish lets me out, I'm going to be rising to the top and I'll be dead. Um, I'm, I'm a dead man, literally. And you listened to my cry. Verse 3, you hurled me. God provided the whale, but God also allowed him to be thrown in. God allowed him to, to go through the deep. And I think that's one of the things that we struggle with is, as American Christians with our great amount of money and the great amount of wealth is that we struggle with a God that would allow us to suffer. Um, and so this is one of those moments where sometimes some of this is um, not really doesn't job with our mindset of how we understand a good God and a loving God is. But in this, he allows us to suffer and to sink to the end of ourselves, so that he can show that he's God and we're not. And so there's going to be moments of your distress and God saying, listen, I'm allowing you these moments of distress and how deep are you going to sink so that you are reminded, I don't care if you're American. I don't care how much money you got. At the moments of your distress, I'm God and you're not. And so God hurled him in and then provided the whale into the depths, into the very heart of the sea. And the current swirled about me and all your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And recently, we got to go on a mission trip in Puerto Rico, and we had the great privilege of baptizing in the open water. Now, that's fun, and I think that's how it should be done. But when you're open in the, in the open water, the water is moving. And so I don't know if you noticed, but we did that baptism, and water's coming and doing all this different stuff. And so even as we're doing baptism, the currents come underneath and begin to sweep all of us off of our feet. And there's a sense of loss of control. You don't control the water. The water controls you. And so you can imagine, here he is, he's thrown in the midst of a storm, and he's trying to swim, and he's trying to fight. And the realization is, I can fight all I want, but the water is going to win. 
And so here he is in that midst of that struggling and fighting. Next verse, to the roots of the mountains. And in those days, they believed that the mountains literally had roots. And so as they looked at the sea, they would see the mountaintops and they would kind of go disappear. And they would think that they would be down in the, the roots of the mountains were down in the sea. So he was, had sunk that deep that he thought he could see the roots of the mountains. The deepest possible place from help and calling out. I sank down. The earth beneath barred me. So this idea of, of again, as he's traveling his three days down to death, that the gates of Hades, the gates of death would open up and that the fish had swam into the gates of Hades and of death and had been closed behind him and there wasn't even a way for him to come out. Can you imagine the feeling of distress and the depths of the emptiness and the loneliness of, hey, God, I, I've sunk to this deep place. You've provided this whale, and this whale is, is sinking even deeper than what I could possibly even imagine, that you're traveling three days and three nights deeper into death, and that there's these gates that have closed over me in this fish. And so even if the fish wants to swim back up with me, there's no way. I am closed in, and what that would feel like, what that sense is, and what's going on in your mind and your heart and your soul when you think life is over as I know it. And now I'm contemplating what it means, what my life has meant, and what it possibly could have. Kind of laying, literally laying on his deathbed in the belly of a well. But, it's one of those words we like around here, the big but, right? All this different stuff, but God says. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. His hopeless situation, God was the deliverer in the salvation. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. I focused my attention. Why is it? Why is it that it takes trials? Why is it that it takes the darkest, deepest places for us to stop and to focus our intention on God? It's our human nature. I mean, that's the story of the nation of Israel. I mean, if you read through the Old Testament, that's the story. There's this cycle of, hey, God, you're awesome and you're great. And then after a little bit, it's like, hey, God, we're awesome and we're great. And then the next thing you know, they do something stupid and they fall. And they're saying, hey, God, we need your help. And God's there. And there's this cycle and the same cycle for us. And what it would mean for us to have habits of building a strong relationship and some of those things in life that we truly need so we don't have this continual cycle of, the ebb and flow, almost a yo-yo thing that we think that sometimes God's up there with a yo-yo and he's like, hey, come close. Oh, you're far away. Hey, come close. Hey, you're far away. Hey, come close. Listen, that's not God's idea. That's our habits. Hey, God, it feels good to be near you. Like today, whatever. And then we get doing our own thing. We move far away from God. God hasn't moved. God's in our location at all times. He's, he's in, as a follower of Jesus, He has taken residence through the Holy Spirit. He resides with inside of you. It's just a matter of if you're going to talk to Him and, and, and have a conversation with Him. And it takes so many times, it takes for us to get to the depths and the ends of ourselves to focus our attention. I've had so many people that I've talked to that have literally have been on their deathbed or been in a hospital and it's kind of stopped them in the midst. And they say, Chris, nothing has encountered me in no way have I encountered God in a better, in a closer way than when I'm on my back and I'm helpless and I'm in distress and I'm looking up saying, God, what have I made of myself? What have I made of my life? It focuses our attention 
upon who he is. And Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. One of the things that I, again, think about this passage is that he took ownership of his sin. He took ownership of his disobedience, and he didn't have a victim mentality. He didn't say, woe is me. He didn't say, why, God? He's saying, God, I know that I'm here, and I know that you've provided this fish, and even if this is the end of me, I'm here, and in this moment, I'm going to recount and give you thanks and give you praise for even this. Because I know that even you provided this, the reason I'm here is because of my sin and disobedience. I'm not going to say, why, God? Why'd you call me to Nineveh? Why'd you call me? You know that I don't like those Ninevites. Why'd you call me that place? And how many for us All of us at times have said, God, why are you bringing me through this? And saying, God, you've provided a fish in this moment, and you're allowing me just to kind of recalibrate my heart and my mind and my soul. Those who cling, he continues on, and he says, those who cling to earthless idols can't find salvation. You turn away from God's love. What do we look for for our own purpose and meaning in life? What is your idol? Is it your work? Is it your money? Is it your relationships? Is it your children's accomplishments? What is it that's your idol and that you cling to? Verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. See, he's in the belly of the well and he's saying, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you've called me to do something. And if you provide for me in this situation and get me out, I will fulfill my call. I will fulfill what you've done for me. He recognized that he was at the end of himself. And that no matter what he cried out, only God would provide and be deliverance for him. Romans 8, 35-39 is one of my favorite verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just a quote for you. If nothing, in other words, he, um, the author of Romans is Paul, and he lists off all these different things. And he says, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, no matter what location you're in, He is in that with you. In your mess, in your distress, in the mess and distress you've created, in the mess and distress that God has allowed, God is in that with you. None of that stuff of life separates us from the depths of God's love for us. He is in it with us. He's not above it. He's not beyond it. He is in it with you. It's a matter of us crying out and recognizing He's there. You think your life is messy? Look at the last verse, verse 10. And again, shows that God's in control, right? I've had a messy week, but man, I wouldn't want this. And the Lord commanded the fish. Remember, He appointed them to swallow them. Now He's commanding this, the same idea. God's in control. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Yummy? Let's go to Sealand for lunch. Y'all ready? Man. Listen, all the commentators and all the wise guys beyond me say this is the most disgusting, coarse word that they could possibly use to describe what happened when Jonah came up. You ever been in those situations where somebody gets a little sick and you kind of like you hear it? And you're like, I think I'm going to get sick too. Yeah, so I won't describe it because we don't want anybody getting sick this morning. But listen, God will even, sometimes what may seem like even messier, 
allow you to walk through that to get you to the place. He was, it says in the Scripture that he was vomited up to exactly the place where he needed to start his journey again. The details of life that God is interested in. Jonah was running exactly opposite of where he needed to be, and he was thrown over, and God hurled him over, allowed that to happen, swallowed him up. In the three days that he thought he was dying, that he was going to a deeper place, and that he thought there was no way that I could be rescued, that entire time God's taking him exactly back to the place where he needed to start afresh again. It was a recommitment. It was a baptism. It was a repentance moment of saying, you've got to walk through this depths of this distress and this pain and this hurt and this sense of there is nothing left of me that I can possibly do so that I can get you here to this place and I'm going to vomit you up so that now you'll be looking at the place that I've called you to and you're going to be stinkier than you were before. But now you're qualified. Because now your stench reaches my nose like the stench of the place that I've called you to. God is concerned about us in our distress. He's in it with us. And so the places that he calls us to be and the people that he calls us to serve when we don't do those things. He's still going to work that out so that we will fulfill what he wants us to do, even if it means that we've got to walk through some messiness so that we will identify with the people that we need to identify with. That's the story of Jonah. Listen, I guarantee you, if you've seen Shira Brock around here, you would have never known that. Her story, where God has brought her from, probably the same for a lot of you. The reason that you're here is because you've been in moments of distress and you've called out. And the good, good father has said, I'm here. Let's walk and let's do this. So Jonah went to the Ninevites. Shira is going to be with Awanas. Where are you going to be? Where is God calling you? Platonia, LaGrange Middle School, LaGrange High School, Fayetteville, wherever he's got you at your work, LCRA, wherever it is God's called you to do ministry and to do life, get in and enjoy what he's going to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in our distress, in the depths of the darkness, You provide a fish. For many of us, it may even seem like it's getting worse because we we sense that we've been devoured up and that you're taking us deeper and deeper and deeper. But Father, even in the midst of that, you are bringing us to safety, number one, but also to allow us to complete the call that you have on us. So Lord, I know even in this room, there are those that have regrets over things that you've called them to do that they haven't done, they've been running from it, Father, that may they this morning, may they hear from you, may they recommit to the call that you have on their life. Father, there are those here this morning that they are in the depths of darkness, 
And if they were even to cry out, they would speed up their drowning. And so, Father, that the depths of their heart, that they would be at the end of themselves, and that maybe for the first time that they would cry out to you and say, God, I cannot do this on my own anymore. I'm going to stop pretending that I am God and allow you to be him. Because your location is in even the darkness. And if you can appoint a fish to swallow one guy at the exact moment when he thinks it's over, for surely you can provide the miracle in our life of exactly what we need when we need it. Because I guarantee you Jonah was crying out, even not from his mouth, but from the depths of his soul. So, Father, may we cry out to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.